Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and we're very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be picking up on a subject we have discussed at great length and will continue to until major action is underway and uh, more action than, the, than is already. And that has to do with the issue, the crisis of global warming. It's discussed here and there, of course, uh, but the media attention on it is almost nil. There is uh, FAIR, the uh, accounting of media, that is a nonprofit that has disclosed that there are virtually no or a few mentions of global warming on the nightly news, mainstream media, cable news, and that, of course, is frightening. You would think that there was only one man in the universe and that his name is Donald Trump. The world revolves around, around him. But, of course, that's not at all true. Our beautiful Earth is in tremendous crisis based on what's called anthropogenic activity. And, as you know, we have covered this over and over again and will continue to, as said, until we see truly powerful changes that are going to be taking place in business and in government eventually. So to discuss this and unpack the issues of the younger people who are involved in this movement, in particular the Sunrise Movement, I have invited to join me today uh, Issa Flora Jones, who is the Press and Media Fellow with the Sunrise Movement, and will be speaking about what actions they are taking in order to bring greater public awareness to the subject overall, as well as to the body politic in particular. So, Isa, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Thanks, Mitchell. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. So, what is good about this movement, of course, and I want you to really define it and tell us how you began and what you're up to is that it seems to me that it is a gathering, a larger gathering of of millennials, although I think anyone would be included, of let's just say a bit younger people who are simply, how do I put it kindly, outraged at the lack <laughs> of attention, both in the media, but even especially in politics of this essential movement and uh, issue that we're, we're kind of um, putting under the rug, except for, thankfully, people like AOC, who has brought forth the Green New Deal and others that are aligned with her. So if you would start, Isa, just telling us a little bit about uh, the Sunrise, Mo Sunrise Movement, how it began, and what kind of actions you are currently taking. Yeah, so I think that outrage is a really good place to to start out this conversation. Um, the Sunrise Movement mm -hmm. is a movement composed of young people across the country from as young as, you know, actually I don't want to put, put a number on as young um, uh, because it's sort of like a minimum age for this movement. Yesterday I was sitting in at the DNC and heard from uh, a really incredible activist, Havana, who's eight years old, and oh. really sp spoke to the reason why she was there, which was to represent um, young women like herself around the world in calling for action on climate. But, but we're really a youth-led mm -hmm. movement from people across the country um, who are building to stop climate change and also create millions of good-paying jobs in the process of doing that. And I think that key to our organization is transforming our generation's anger and, you know, frustration or outrage at witnessing what has been a lifetime of political inaction on the climate crisis and, and turning that outrage into a mass movement to build the political consensus, to be working with AOC, to be really relying on the new consensus, to be building the policy to bring us towards this new green deal and the mass mobilization that we all believe that we need. Mm -hmm. Let me get a little sense of uh, your size, and is it national or is it international in scope? Yeah, so we're, we're a national movement. 
and we are focused on, and we, we do work with organizations from across the world um, and have allies and, and friends across the world who are also building with us. Um, we came from people from, you know, a variety of backgrounds, from people working on fossil fuel divestment campaigns like my own, um, to people who were able to attend those international climate talks or who, who read the IPCC reports and who realized mm -hmm. that, you know, na it's now or really never from people who have witnessed in their own communities, in their own backyards, um, the impacts of these extractive economies and have, have really felt, um, have really felt, you know, the destruction, the ecological dis destruction that, that they felt called to, to come and, and begin fighting against. Yes. Wonderful. How many members do you believe that you have at this point? Oh, I, yeah. So uh, the movement started in 2016 and um, with just one hub of, of people who came out of fossil fuel divestment campaigns and came out of a variety of different and were representing the communities that, that were impacted by, by climate. And from there, we have spread to hundreds of, we call them hubs. Um, they're essentially organizing groups in cities across the country. I think we're at somewhere, oh, we're upwards of 250 now, I believe, um, of these hubs. And those, those are sort of um, organization points um, through which thousands of youth organizers are able to meet and connect and do a kind of form of distributed organizing. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, I'd say that we we grew from really, from really I think it was something like twelve people really um, committed to working on this and framing this climate crisis in terms of it being, you know, directly a direct threat to to a youth generation, um, to thousands mm -hmm. of people um, across the United States and beyond, you know, who sent their support. I was really, really impressed sitting out yesterday for three days in the hot sun at the Democratic, Democratic National Committee headquarters at the amount of support that we are receiving. So many people sent us food, so many people mm -hmm. um, expressed support um, uh, virtually, and we really felt, you know, uh, held and seen as we were, we were yeah. out there and we were out there calling for a climate debate, which we feel is a necessary step in this. 2020 Indeed. election. Indeed. Wow. I just uh, admire what you and your your colleagues are doing in this respect. So in general, it sounds like you are uh, sort of a coordinating hub, uh, like on the macro level, of lots of, let's say, micro hubs. So in that way, every single time you uh, attract another organization that is working on a grassroots level in some state, some county, somewhere in, let's just say this mainly, this country, uh, you have just added another several dozen or several hundred possibly new members overall to the Sunrise Movement in terms of, you know, not necessarily card carrying, that doesn't matter, but in terms of coordinated and coherent action on the ground to get the messages across that you're seeking to do and uphold the values that you are seeking to do as well. Yeah, I'd say that that's a great way to describe it. Um, we say that okay. an action can be carried out by as little as three people who are together and representing Sunrise and um, ideally in connection with a with a city hub, but that um, we really are making it possible for anyone anywhere to take action. And I think in that way, we've really been able to combat a lot of the apathy that um, young people especially are feeling and create a lot of, you know, shared hope and, and vision for sure. what. Sure. Yeah. That's beautiful. If you don't mind my asking, Isa, um, how old are you? I am 22 years old. 22, okay. So you're mm -hmm. at that, you know, beautiful age of youth <laughs> in action. And uh, it's beautiful. I remember I was 22 once too, and I was a loudmouth. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I appreciate it. That's, that has, um, you could say, morphed into what I'm doing right now, many moons later. So, I no, I very, very much appreciate it. Could you give us kind of a streamlined definition and uh, purpose 
to the Sunrise Movement so our listeners can really get? I mean, I see some of your actions, and we'll talk about more of them. But what, as far as your kind of your mission statement, what would you say it is? Yeah, I would say that our mission statement is to really connect um, these different points between, you know, well, I'd, I'd say that it's actually two two purposes, right? So the one is to build um, and organize youth across the country, to build between youth organizing and electoral politics, to create hope and possibility. But I really say that our our key orienting mission is this Green New Deal and is the desire to create and guarantee a livable future for everybody and mm-hmm. to create um, just equitable employment for people in the process. And in this way, you know, it's, it's a movement that I think encompasses, um, you know, this is not just sort of, and this is something that, you know, Tom Perez has been, has been saying that climate is a, is a single issue. We really believe that that climate and environmental um, activism, that the climate crisis, you know, encompasses the need to fight against um, economic inequality and racial mm-hmm. injustice, um, gender yes. inequality, and that all of these things are encompassed in the values that that um, orient us and that guide us. Um, and so I think I think sort of mission statement is um, combating the way that the political and media establishment have suppressed conversation about the climate crisis for the entirety of our lives and illuminating the way that we can all work together to build power um, to be able to create this just and livable future. And sorry, that's a bit longer than what you asked for. But, no, 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 um, not at all. It's great. It's great. No, it's very clear, and uh, you put it all well. Uh, so that that's great. No, what, one of the things that uh, I talk about myself on A Better World Radio and TV is the whole space of understanding the interconnectedness to all of the issues. It's People talk about one, you know, being a... You know, having one issue that, you know, it's the horse that they ride. Like if you watched, for instance, the Democratic debates in the last two days, you know, each person is sort of championing a particular issue. Uh, However, uh, I and I believe you and uh, the Sunrise Movement recognizes that there's this interconnectedness, this interstitial reality, if you will, of connectedness between all of these matters. Because if you look at the way democracy is working, or in some, really in more ways than not working, it's a function of the laws and the policies and regulations that are in place that suppress um, people of color, um, to some extent to women. And then you see that the whole thing from the point of view simply of legislation, is skewed to keep some people down and other people thriving and flourishing. Well, how can you have a real working, equitable uh, distribution of opportunity in a situation like that? It's just, it's like fighting against the wind. It's very, very difficult. So you see that having a working democracy in the true sense, a real democracy that is government of the people is directly contributing to the issues of global warming because the idea is that a few rich people are going to just make as much money as they can from doing the things they've always done, which is destroying, unfortunately, through extraction technologies and, you know, uh, commercial cattle farming and hog farming yeah. and blah, 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 doing such intense damage, and they don't care, and they've, they've lined up the laws behind them and the courts mm-hmm. behind them, right? Yeah, so I exactly love right. what you guys are up to because what you're doing is you're sort of blowing the whistle on all of it. So uh, is that a clear, you know, articulation of what you're up to? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say we're okay. really trying to call out those fossil fuel billionaires who are yeah. Um, yeah. really enriching themselves at the expense of everybody else. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the whole thing is so insane. You, you know, you, you wonder what could be, I mean, I wonder, and I'm sure you do, but what is the psychology of people who, if you've got, as Bernie Sanders says, you know, um, three people in Silicon Valley that own have as much money as 50%, and if he's, even if he's off a little bit, 30%, you know, of the rest <laughs> of the population, it, it's really, it's a pathological condition. There's nothing healthy or good about it, and thankfully, people like him and many others are really blowing the whistle on that kind of inherent, horrific injustice that the laws including the tax laws, continue to support to this day. Like, what? It's like, and they act as though they don't have children themselves or grandchildren mm-hmm. for that matter, you know. So yeah. tell me, coming coming back around, if you would, what are, uh, you're just coming from the DNC in Washington, you're pushing for a climate change specific uh, panel, uh, you know, com- um, what do you call it, debate, which I think is fantastic, and I know Governor Jay Inslee has been calling for, and they completely shut him down. And you have to ask mm-hmm. yourself, who are these Democrats? What power do they have to tell us that there's not going to be a climate debate, you know? So tell me a little bit about the inside that you've discovered as you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's two two components to to this right i mean the one it seems to us having so i guess a little bit of background so we uh the sunrise movement or rather tom perez uh, declared that there would not be a climate debate in response to the majority of candidates actually including inslee but also including the majority of all uh, major candidates calling for a climate debate um, something that was supported by 64% of all registered Democrats, um, mm-hmm. uh, calling for, for you know, a third-party conversation um, about the climate crisis in which we'd really be able to hear candidates' plans. Um, yes. I think that sitting outside of the DNC in the baking hot sun for the past three days, um, um, sleeping out there um, on the steps, you know, and and having had no response at all from the Democratic National Committee, it really seems as if the DNC and Perez is not listening to um, their constituents and not listening to yeah. the people who um, are going to be voting in this coming election and in every election to come. Um, and but I, I will say that there was a really obvious um, there was a really obvious split, right? We had so much support from uh, people stopping by in their lunch breaks, people coming and, and sitting with us for a moment, bringing us mm-hmm. food, um, bringing us you know, cupcakes from the Sierra Club. The Hip Hop Caucus came by with lemonade. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Bernie Sanders sent uh-huh. us pizza. I'm just naming these sort of like material, um, <laughs> sort of like symbolic expressions of love. Right? That felt and support, yeah, but yeah. that felt like so um, meaningful when we were physically there. Sure. Um, sure. Again, you know, on those steps, and I think that it really does illustrate um, a that I, I think like having having left after those two days and having only heard 15 minutes of conversation um, about the climate crisis in those two debates, I think it's really mm-hmm. strengthened all of our resolve that we need to keep pushing for this climate mm-hmm. debate to happen. But even more than mm-hmm. that. I think that we really need to be in in all of our separate communities across the country, that we all really need to be expressing that um, what we know to be true, that this is the most important um, and most encompassing, right, issue of, of our generation, um, really of, of, of all generations. Um, And that, you know, that I, I think that this, this experience really, really illustrated for everybody who is physically sitting on those steps, but also for all of, um, the the people tuning in across the country that we really need more conversation and not just conversation but action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, well put. Uh, did you ask for? Did anyone in your organization ask for a meeting with Tom Perez oh, or any absolutely. of his so, colleagues? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we arrived and what at the DNC hoping to meet with um, members of of the Democratic Party. Um, we actually didn't intend to have a three-day um, sit-in and sleep in there. We came there. Mm-hmm. Um, we did you bring to a have pillow? a rally on the steps. <laughs> we didn't. We actually did not bring. <laughs> so I mean, we had all of our sleeping gear that was at the different movement houses um, that Sunrise yeah. has in in Washington D.C. But we're completely unprepared to to stay the night. And we get to the to the front door and um, ask, you know, just to 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 speak with whomever um, is there to step into the lobby and immediately we are um, barred from entering. And at that point, I think people began um, to think about, you know, like how far we were going to take um, this particular protest and yeah, the action, but also I think um, the degree to which the Democrats were not willing to even have a meeting and even to, um, hear out the voices of of everybody who had assembled, and really from across the country, right? Like I flew in, I I um, drew in, drew uh, drove in from Philadelphia, um, but people mm-hmm. came in from um, movement houses even further away um, to attend and be be a part of this rally and this, this moment. Um, so yeah, I think that that was pretty so, pretty striking. I did you express to whoever it is that opened the door that you were all Democrats, registered Democrats? Um, I mean, our, yeah, I mean, we, we approached the, I mean, it sounds silly, but it is not to mention, and actually should be a very important point that you are members, card carrying members of the democratic party. And therefore, you would like, you know, politely requesting uh, a sit-down meeting with whoever you could who are members of the Democratic National Committee, preferably Tom Perez, but you'll take uh, some of his colleagues also. Right. I mean, we arrived and we uh, stated that we were representing, you know, a group of people who had um, voted for the Democratic Party, who perhaps had never voted in their lives before. You mean inside and the Democratic about Party? For, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And had and we're thinking about voting for. No, I mean people who who have just turned eighteen, you know, and are are casting their first um, their first votes of their life. Um, and yes, for the Democratic Party, and are thinking about who they want to be voting for, and you know that arriving there to a closed door is not. Um, is definitely not the reception that we had hoped to receive and that we had hoped that... <laughs> to put it mildly. To, yeah, to Indeed. what is the next generation of, of voters. So, yeah, I think that exactly. it was definitely a pretty... Yeah. Um, no, this is great. I, I, I wholly applaud the actions. Uh, I, do you mind if I just say one or two things about, you know, strategy... Uh, for making a difference, because at the end of the day, that's really what it is. There are some people who take, you know, picket signs and stand in front of uh, White Houses and DNCs and like that. That's one point of entree, no question. Another is emails. Others, of course, are using uh, social media. Uh, Others are um, making a phone call and seeking on that level to arrange a meeting. And I'll mention uh, a colleague and friend of mine, um, Sam Daly-Harris, who wrote a book called Reclaiming Our Democracy. And it's a very powerful book of how-tos arranging meetings with Congress, with your representatives, both Congress people, uh, representatives in the House, as well as senators and others. And it's, it's a certain kind of model, Isa, that um, is not confrontative, by the way. It's sort of um, it's, it's, uh, respectful and it's businesslike and one, you know, dresses accordingly and, and pressures them as needed persistently to get the meeting. And eventually that door will open um, and you sit down with these uh, representatives, including in the DNC, um, and you sit down and you make your case. So, you know, think about it. 
you know, these guys don't know how to handle hundreds of young people outside his door demanding attention. He, so from his point of view, and this doesn't justify anything, please understand, uh, on his side, but how do I deal with this? If I open up the door an inch, they're going to take a foot. And if, they, if I give them a foot, they're going to take a, a mile. You know, that's if you get down to the psychology of it all. That's what he's worrying and fretting about. But if you make a phone call or two or three and say, we would like to have the pleasure of a meeting with you, and like you see what I mean? And so one doesn't preempt the other, but that different members of Sunrise could possibly uh, seek to access the people that are making decisions about these important points, like uh, climate change debate uh, during this time period might what are your thoughts yeah i mean i think that so that's definitely a strategy that we are currently employing and that we have been employing sort of even as we are out there um sitting on yes um DFC steps and you know sitting in at pelosi's office um we also have members of the team who are presently um congressional interns who are um, yes. Also, Excellent. you know, who who are also working on the Hill and also in their local communities um, in politics in different yes. kinds of ways. Like I, re- I think I re- what I really want to stress is that um, this is a movement that has brought out um, people from all different kinds of backgrounds and with all different kinds of um, knowledge and access to um, to the political the machine. The halls of power. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there, there, you know, even as we even as we conduct this particular conducted this particular action in Washington, um, there are people across the country who are also. Um, we had one particular one Sunrise member who did attend the Miami debates and who, um, you know, got an agreement from O'Rourke that he was going to pay more attention to this climate issue even than he already had done just by you know. By speaking with him there physically, um, it's not sort of. I think I think one thing that is so powerful about this movement and that's been so great to see is that uh, folks are working at all different levels and in, in so many different kinds of ways, and that they really feel mm-hmm. um, the agency to be able to do that and to be able to embody this movement and um, carry it forward in, in whatever they can. And I think that that's something that I'd encourage everybody. Um, also listening to this conversation to, to do as well. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, definitely what you say is true. Um, it's, it's so important. Well, it sounds like you're, you're on. already on it. You're already coming in, you know, many sides to the middle. And that's really what I was suggesting, whatever, you know, it has different, you know, sizes and shapes and colors, but you're, you're on it. You, as the, one of the media coordinators for some, the Sunrise Movement, um, clearly see that there are a number of different leverage points that you can utilize. So um, I, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. And I, I mean, I, you know, in my years uh, as an activist and demonstrator and all of that, uh, I've, you know, worn all hats from marching in Washington to um, writing massive numbers of letters to people like Mitch McConnell, by the way, never answered any of them. (laughs) But uh, I've had a lot to say about a lot of things over the course of many years, this being probably the salient issue of them all, because I, I so adore our beautiful planet Earth, and I take personally any affront to her. So it's a deep emotional and spiritual connection. And, um, and you know, that's on the true um, and honest and sacred side, but it's also on the playful side because it's fun to play in nature. And we want to be able to continue to do that. And we don't want everything to turn into either a real estate development or a hog farm um, or a drilling site. So, you know, <clears throat> so I would also like to just kind of throw into the the mix here, and you've already hit upon it, so I'm just pulling it out, and this is something a better world is, 
in fact, is very involved in because politics always lags behind business. In fact, politics is actually controlled by business to, uh, for the better or for the worse, unfortunately, more often to the worse. But business is, you could say, the real driver of change on this planet. As I've often said, Isa, it has been big business that has brought us to the verge of, really, the sixth extinction. And it's also when people's minds change and hearts change, the thing that can bring us back. Not governments. We need government to cooperate, and that's why I'm so pleased to have you on today representing the Sunrise Movement and doing the things that you are doing on the ground to get the politicians to utterly wake up because they're fast asleep and also addicted to um, their, their funding sources, which don't want them to say too much except for people like Bernie Sanders and Jay Inslee and a few others, to uh, deal with the serious issues at hand. But focusing on business, because you said you wanted to see people of your generation get gainful livelihood. Let's, you know, what we sometimes call right livelihood in the space of, let's call them renewable energy and the green economy, and that's why you're so excited, and so am I, about the Green New Deal and this kind of um, activity. But just to tell you, business itself is taking huge leaps, huge leaps in the direction of building a renewable energy-based economy, if that can ever help your heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that coming out of the fossil fuel divestment campaign, I was also exposed to a lot of conversations and thinking about where we are investing and how business is, um, you know, working towards towards making this transition happen and how it's actually more lucrative um, for many of the, you know, for many of the big fossil fuel giants, for the energy companies rather, to be thinking about shifting away from fossil fuels and towards different kinds of of renewable energy, but I think that it's a transition, and, and this is something that we're all. Um, this is why we're, we are all fighting, right? Is that we have to make it politically, not only politically possible, but politically um, necessary for them to make that transition. Um, yes. And I think that thinking about you know the Exxon, um, the Exxon New case, and the entire history of the knowledge of of climate climate change and um, the purposeful, uh, you know, the purposeful um, um, subterfuge and and um, you know hiding of that knowledge um, yes. is really an example of why we need to make it a political imperative for this shift to happen. But I think I think that You're that right. can only happen with a degree of urgency and this 11-year timeline that um, is the timeline we know. Um, from the IPCC reports, we need to move on. And I just don't think, I think that um, none of us have the faith that business will will make that um, shift happen um, at the speed and with the urgency that we all deserve, yeah. unless, unless yeah. we are also here calling for it to happen. Um, yeah. I think it's really encouraging. I think, like, there have been incredible, you know, leaps forward, um, but I think that all of the candidates that stood out to me personally at the debates in the last mm-hmm. two nights called for some form of, A, you know, ending the corruption um, in our political system, but more than that, um, breaking up and breaking up these huge conglomerates, but more than that, also um, creating this really, um, the pathway for this, um, for this green transition, and that includes building yes. up green jobs, green technology as as um uh as Warren brought up um and and I think that that is you know that that's where we are really that's what we are really advocating for is this eleven year transition um yes yes yeah so, yeah i I appreciate that I appreciate that um what are some of the other uh, oh let me ask you this if I may what is there a particular K 
candidate or several candidates that sun, the Sunrise Movement are collectively getting behind at this point, or is it much more just uh, each to his or her own? Yeah, so the Sunrise Movement doesn't give uh, endorsements, um, but we do um, we don't we don't give endorsements, but we do and have put out this call for all candidates to sign a no fossil fuel money pledge. And we think that mm-hmm. the leaders in this election and the, and the people who are really representing the people are those people who have are those candidates who have signed the no fossil fuel money pledge, um, and you know who've also signed on to the Green New Deal and have indicated that they will be working for this solution for all of us. So I'd say that. Um, we think that the people who we think that the candidates who support, um, you know, their constituents and and uh, represent a youth generation can can only do that if they are out front and center, um, calling for a green new deal and for this transition to happen. Mhm. Mhm. Now, just tell us a little bit, if you would, about. I know we're running a little over if that's okay for you it's okay for me i can take a, a few more minutes here <clears throat> about your work at the harvard divestment movement can you tell us a little bit about that um what yeah so for my yeah um so for the past four years i coordinated the divestment well i didn't coordinate the entire time but i for the past four, year, four years i've worked on the campaign that's working alongside um another campaign um, to divest Harvard from prisons, but um, our campaign worked to um, divest Harvard's um, enormous endowment from the fossil fuel industry. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that experience was really uh, sort of an inside look at the work it takes to make corporations. And I think it's really important to to see the university as a corporation. Um mm-hmm. In fact, um, which it is the largest, even though they're the typically largest. nonprofits, but there was a, a land deal made uh, a couple of hundred years ago that <laughs> gave them a certain uh, privileged status. But not to under not to unpack that all right now. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, but that um, it's really really important to. You know, yeah, to have that history and to to know that it is a larger nonprofit even than um, it has more resources even than the Vatican um, is mm-hmm. up there with you know Apple and Coca Cola in terms of the amount of money that it has and it's moving and yes. um, and that for me personally I felt as if it was a really uh, unique opportunity to be inside of an institution and be able to ask it to demand um, that it make this change. Um, and I think it was also, it was also a lesson at, about um, the work that a small group of really dedicated um, sort of really dedicated individuals can do when they are working together, relying on one another and working across campaigns um, to be doing that, that kind of work. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. During my time, we saw the divestment from um, their di- the divestment from their direct um, holdings in um, in all kinds of energy sources, so from oil, gas, coal, um, mm-hmm. or rather, I, I a pause on those investments. So they still are directly invested, um, uh, but during my time, they announced this this sort of a pause on them, and I think that um, the way that that conversation shifted during my time was really um, a lesson in, in people power and the way that we can like educate and work with one another to be making these changes. That's and it was beautiful. definitely what brought That's me beautiful. to work with the Sunrise Movement. Yeah. Into Sunrise, exactly. It was your preparation. Uh, you were hovering around a very important quote by the famous uh, anthropologist Margaret Mead, which I have as part of my electronic signature on email, which you can go back and take a look at, which is, quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. End quote. Mm. Margaret Mead. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I had the great <laughs> esteemed pleasure of meeting 
many years ago when I was actually uh, a teenager um, at a uh, anthropology conference. Yeah, but that is what you're saying, and it is just so true. It's just it's so true. It's I'm so glad that you had that experience of seeing what. Uh, people can do, and my reference to Sam Daly Harris's book uh, called Reclaiming Your Democracy is wholly along that line in very practical steps. Uh, I think that can help the Sunrise Movement tremendously. He's been an advisor to the Pachamama Alliance, which you may or may not know, but uh, Mm. A Better World is very much in support and advocate of that organization as well that has been on the front lines of many initiatives such as like what you are doing. It has a slightly different way, and I'm one of the facilitators of their Awakening the Dreamer and online Game Changer courses that are all for free that educate people about the interconnectedness, as we were talking about before a bit, Isa, the relationship between economic, political, and social injustice and issues and the larger global warming crisis, Um, you know, just to bring that forth. So well, you're doing wonderful work, and I want to just continue, um, you know, supporting your work and broadcasting what your work is over these airwaves here at A Better World because uh, we're wholly in support of that. I'm going to just take a moment because of something I just learned myself this past weekend, which I found startling, and um, I had a little bit of a visceral um reaction to when I first heard it, but then I let it settle and it became really interesting and opened up my vista a little bit and made me a little bit more understanding of the way history flows, i.e. the way men and women act, you know, along the path of life. Um, and, And I'll share it with you before we part. It's really interesting. Um, And that is to say that uh, I was out in Colorado in this group called the Evolutionary Leaders Circle, and one of the people I got friendly with in this group uh, was saying to me as I was speaking about the need to build a renewable energy economy for every single possible good reason. He said, you know, um, you want to manage your emotions in regard to this, he said to someone who, by the way, is a personal coach and holistic psychotherapist, moi, and uh, along with what I do in media and business. Um, He said, back at the turn of the 20th century, in the earliest years, he said, England's industrial revolution was causing so much pollution and so much child labor, and so much environmental damage, that what because of coal, when the Rockefeller-based Standard Oil came online to fuel cars and to provide kerosene instead of whale oil, of some very interesting things happened. First of all, whales wouldn't have to be killed en masse, which was happening then, en masse, because whale oil lit our lights back then. And um, coal was keeping England in control and keeping the air absolutely disgusting and black and sooty. And so when oil came on board, it was actually considered the environmental savior of the times. I was shocked, honestly. And I've been in this world, I've been, since I was 14, I was sort of fighting the fight for a pollution-free world that, of course, over time got recognized as, you know, greenhouse gases and leading to global warming, leading to accelerated climate change. But so I was no, I'm no newcomer to the space, um, and I've dedicated a lot of my life to really uh, being engaged to shift things in this space. 
But when he said that, I realized I did not know this interesting piece of information. And I went, oh, you're kidding me. I really had no idea. It also allowed some of the economic power to come here to America from England, you know. And it was allowing – that is yeah. wow. It is. That's a completely wrong fact. I'm so sorry. I do have to jump off the phone, um, but Not I want to thank you so much for having me on um, to speak today. Oh, what a pleasure! Um, and I we I know we ran over than what I said. Why don't you give the website or ways of contacting people to the work of the Sunrise Movement so people listening can, if they want, jump on the bandwagon here of continuing and helping you, supporting you doing the good work that you're all doing. Yeah, so you can find us at sunrisemovement.org and you can sign up there um, or support I, support our work, um, support further actions like the one in, at, in D.C. Um, and hear what's happening next. Thank you so much again for having me on the show. That's wonderful. A pleasure to have you, Isa. And we'll talk again. Awesome. Bye-bye now. Afternoon. So for the sake of all of you, I will uh, complete that little story. I'm sorry she had to leave. I kept her longer than I told her I would need her uh, on the show. But uh, it's just interesting. It, it contextualizes the role of of uh, the fossil fuel industry in a way that I personally, even after all of these years, really didn't have a perspective on. So uh, it broadened my own horizons. That who would have thunk it that the advent of of uh, those fossil fuels, of you know, oil in particular, and then natural gas would be the environmental savior of the time. So there is a relativism, a cultural uh, relativism to everything. So it's just interesting to stay abreast of and not let our emotions cloud the recognition that there is a time and place for almost everything. I say almost, I don't want to go too far, but uh, certainly with the advent of the understanding of photons and of wind power and geothermal power and uh, current power as in ocean, wave power, currents in rivers and on, well, well, we're far beyond the need for fossil fuel and it needs to be uh, eclipsed. It needs to be edged out. We agree. We all know this. And it should have begun long ago. I mean, the Dutch had windmills long ago. We could have extrapolated from what they knew into a higher-grade commercial application, right? Many, many moons ago, but we didn't. We know that the United States government, had, based on its own research, back in the 1950s were aware of the effect of fossil fuels on the climate, on the air, etc., etc., what it does to water. Uh, And as they did and as Exxon did, um, suppressed that information and started a greenwashing campaign, which they continue to be on to this day. We know these horrible, horrible facts Uh, And God knows, thank goodness for the Sunrise Movement, thank God for AOC and uh, the work that she and Senator Markey and many, many others are doing. Thank goodness for the work of Paul Hawken and uh, the Drawdown Movement, which it really is, and for the Pachamama Alliance and so many millions, literally, of NGOs of B corporations, of nonprofits, of C corporations, people with heart and mind, coordinated people with higher values that know to put people and planet in front of profit. It's so simple. It's just really simple what our demands are, not our requests, but truly our demands. 
It needs to be this way. It should have always been this way. And that's the way you build a healthy, balanced society. When you allow the reptilian brain in its fear factor to generate greed as the basis of activity, sort of when Michael Douglas in the famous film said, greed is good. No, there's nothing good about greed at all. It's actually a symptom and expression of of a sickness of a reptilian brain out of control, not taking into consideration, not knowing uh, inside an individual to allow the mammalian and the prefrontal cortex to do the executive decision-making. And that also, by the way, means, and I'm not being esoteric, I'm being physiologically accurate. The heart gets activated because it's, it's intimately wired with the prefrontal cortex. But if we're acting out of the reptilian, then the prefrontal cortex becomes in service to its so that's what allows what you would think of and what appears to be smart people to conduct extremely greedy business. It's not that they're, sounds funny, it's not that they're bad people. It's that they're undeveloped people. They're essentially emotionally unintelligent, emotionally not matured people. This is my point of view. And so our jobs are many. Our jobs are first and foremost triage. Save the planet by reducing those actions that cause further global warming, i.e. more greenhouse gases in every single uh, manifestation. That's like, you know, throwing water on the house that's on fire. That is numero uno, obviously. Then we have to deal with, and that's largely a business matter in many respects. Then there's the political power, which our dear um, Isa was talking about, Flora Jones of the Sunrise Movement today, and dealing with that. God bless this group. Uh, with sitting in, as they just did, at the DNC, which is as old-fashioned and archaic as, well, the reptilian brain. Well, close, huh? Close. And uh, that has to be utterly reformed. I mean, of course, those of you who have been listening for years to me here on A Better World and many of our guests, I have interviewed third-party candidates because so we so believe in breaking up this duopoly uh, that is just madness itself. Um, it's hard to imagine that the breakup is going to be happening soon enough, but I will always endorse Nelson Mandela's wonderful words, which are, it always seems impossible until it's done. It always seems impossible until it's done. And we are aiming for that. But in the meantime, we do have to, I feel, uh, deal with what will really change the game. And it does not look like a third party is going to be doing that here. And uh, the timeline on it may require having to break down and vote for one of the better Democrats who is really committed to climate issues and reversing them and putting money behind that government money and uh, while I leave that up to your own imaginations I never tell you what to do God knows but I do make suggestions that's for sure anyway it's interesting this historical perspective on the on the uh, on the fossil fuel industry at once our saviors saving whales moving power to uh, the colonies, if you will, um, and reducing coal, interestingly, um, and not that oil or natural gas are, well, they actually are better. They are better, although, you know, there are issues of lead that was suppressed also because 
people are weird and they will just seemingly do almost anything for money and just cast aside even the health and the well-being and the sustainability of their own lines of 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 uh progression of their family lineages i I just it's mind-boggling what people have been willing to sacrifice in terms of health and well-being um in order to access more money and more power it's boggling but in conclusion i want to just thank uh isa flores jones and her other colleagues at the Sunrise Movement, and all others who are making valiant efforts at shaking loose this uh, utterly stuck DNC and stuck Congress that doesn't listen to us. And it is listening in some measure, and she well put it, it will listen to us the louder we get and the more persistent and awake and conscious we become. And when we demand, yep, it will happen. It will break down the walls of Jericho. It will happen. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for listening and please pass this around to your friends and colleagues and family and all who can hear the message of the youth God bless them who are picking up the mantle from those of us who have been at it. We need everyone on board, and each of us brings our own unique perspective and our unique gifts and talents to this table. We need lots of creativity. We need amazing firmness of conviction. We need high-minded and big-hearted values to continue to press forward. And yes, water always overcomes the stone. It's ancient Chinese wisdom. It always wears down the stone. So be water-like, continue on, and we will see success. The power of hope, the psychology of hope, the physiology of hope, they're all truly powerful. And give us, all of them, give us the motive force we need to continue with fulfilling what we feel is our hearts and souls calling to do the right thing on behalf of people and planet, dear Gaia. And, well, it'll take all of us. That's what I'll say. I want to remind all of you that we are a 501c3 ourselves. Your donations and contributions to a better world are so appreciated. If you do not yet get our newsletter, which is for free and comes out once a week, please simply go to www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and uh, sign up for it. It's right there. And also, if you want any of our energy balancing services, uh, personal or business slash executive coaching, you know where to go. Come here to us, write to me, honestly, at mjr at abetterworld.net. Or if you want to make any comments about the shows or suggestions, always appreciated, mjr at abetterworld.net. And visit www. MitchellRabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com. And if you do want to make any kind of sizable contributions, we really prefer you first write to me here directly at MJR at abetterworld.net, put donation into the subject line, and someone will be getting back to you, certainly. And we also are looking for interns. Please contact us and... uh, See what you can do for a better world. Thanks so much again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin. Thank you, Isa, yet again in the Sunrise Movement. And I look forward to speaking to you all next week.